911. What is your emergency? Ladies never kiss and tell, but we do kill and tell. A one, two, three, four. Welcome back, guys. I hope you had a great 4th of July week because I know I did. Um, I spent the weekend up in Gloucester, which was super fun. Also, I don't know if I told you guys this yet already, but fireworks freak me the F out. Quick little sidebar. A few years ago, I got accidentally shot in the face with a firework. So even just like the sound of them now, like I jump a little bit. But I do like them from a distance. I have to say, like, if I'm driving or, like, if I'm watching an actual fireworks show, like, I like them. But when you're doing them on your own and it's sketchy and I could possibly be shot in the face again, we don't love that. We stay far away. It's a big no. That's all I gotta say. Okay? Okay. And on that note, let's start Coffee Corner. So today I had a Starbucks iced coffee with three pumps of caramel syrup, one shot of espresso, a splash of sweet cream, and chef's kiss, guys. That's my go-to coffee order, if anyone wants to know. If you felt like buying me a coffee, which I doubt it, but if you did, that's the order, okay? Can't get any better than that. It's like my go-to. It wakes me up. If you couldn't tell, I'm really hyper today. Um, also, just been really happy lately, but yeah. So, go try that out from Starbucks. Let me know what you think. I think that next episode, I'm going to try and get, like, a super cool, unique coffee because I feel like I've been slacking on you guys. But besides the point, let's jump into the case. Okay, guys, so this one is definitely not for the faint of heart. Bear with me. Trigger warning. Children are involved. It does get a little graphic at times. So, if this isn't the case for you, definitely stop here. And you can join us next week. You will have a new episode on Monday with a cool coffee. But make sure you go check out some other episodes today if this one is just not for you, which I don't blame you. But for those of you who want to stick around and get spooky, here we go. This is the triple homicide, double kidnapping, and sole survivor case of the Groney Family Massacre. For those of you have for those of you who have heard about this case, this is a case within a serial killer's case, but I wanted to focus on this one because of all the aspects and how crazy it is. But you know what? I'm just going to tell you that and then we're going to get into it and you'll learn. Okay? Okay. I'm like really hyper today, guys, so just like bear with me. The Groney family lived in Cuar de Aline. Cuar? Cuar de Aline? I definitely butchered that, so just don't come at me. The Groney family lived in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho in 2005. Brenda Groney was 40 years old and was the mother of 13-year-old Slade, 9-year-old Dylan, and 8-year-old Shasta Groney. Brenda was in a relationship with 37-year-old Mark McKenzie and had just been recently divorced in 2001 from her ex-husband Steve Groney. Brenda and Steve also had two older sons, Jesse and Vance. 
that were in and out of prison most of their lives and struggling with methamphetamine addictions. Brenda Groney was actually an addict herself between alcohol and methamphetamine, but she still put her children first, making sure that they always had food on the table, she was able to provide for them, they were healthy, they were happy. Some actually described her as a, quote, functional addict. Brenda was also a stay-at-home mom, and her husband Mark, or boyfriend Mark, it was kind of unclear as to whether or not they were actually married, but regardless, he worked at Spokane Stainless Products, which was a local business. The Gronies were a very close family. The kids mostly hung out with each other outside of school, and the family would spend time fishing, hunting, camping. They spent a lot of time outdoors, and they loved each other's presence. Like, they loved to be around each other. Um, it was like that all-American family growing up, like, just having the time of their lives. Which, okay, guys, side note, I hate that kids nowadays are always on their tablets or iPhones. Like, put the phone down, go outside, ride your bike, and your mom will call you in for dinner. I don't know. I just miss those days. Nostalgia! May 13th was just any other day. Shasta and her older brother Dylan went outside to play. They were actually in the front yard, hanging out in their bathing suits, in and out of the swimming pool, and Brenda was outside mowing the lawn. Little did they know, but little did they know that they were actually being watched this entire time. Unfortunately, the happy-go-lucky world as they knew it would drastically change forever. At around 6am on May 16th, 2005, Shasta woke up to her mom telling her that someone was in the house that didn't want them there. Shasta, groggy, dazed, and confused, and her brother Dylan, who she shared a room with, hesitantly and followed their mom out of the room because they had no idea what was going on. Like, you guys know what it's like to be woken up. When they followed their mom out to the living room, they were met by a man holding a shotgun. This man was 42-year-old Joseph Edward Duncan III, also the man that was watching them. Duncan was born in Fort Bragg, North Carolina in 1963. And his criminal record started when he was only a teenager. He actually raped a nine-year-old boy at gunpoint. And while spending time in a juvenile facility on unrelated charges, Duncan told a therapist that he had actually sexually assaulted around 13 boys. And in 1980, Duncan was arrested and sentenced to 20 years in prison after being charged with first-degree rape, first-degree burglary, and third-degree statutory rape for the assault of a 14-year-old boy. However, Duncan was released on parole after serving only 14 years. So, back to the Gronies. So, I mentioned to you guys that they were being watched by Duncan. Duncan had actually driven by the house on May 13th and saw the children playing outside in their bathing suits. And this is when he knew that they were going to be his next target. You see, Duncan was just passing through. He actually had his eyes on another victim. But when he saw the Gronies, all his plans changed. For the next three days after May 13th, Duncan stalked the family, their routines, and even interacted with the family dog, who was a pit bull and, from what the family said, it was not a friendly pit bull if it didn't know you. After watching their routine for some time, Duncan realized that at nighttime, the family was leaving the back door open because their toilet wasn't working, so the kids and the family were going to the bathroom outside. And when he realized this, he actually entered the family's home the night of May 15th through the back door and just roamed around the house, watched the family sleep, learned the layout, 
and planned his attack. When the entire family was gathered in the living room, met by Duncan with the shotgun, he ordered everyone to lay face down on the ground and proceeded to zip tie their hands and their feet behind their back. As Duncan tied up the family members one by one, him and Mark ended up arguing. He was asking Mark for money and Mark kept insisting and insisting like, we don't have anything, we have nothing to give you, I'm sorry, like I'm telling you the truth, this is all I have. And this is when, and this is when Duncan motioned to the kids, keep your heads down and be quiet. This is when Duncan took a claw hammer and struck Mark in the head six times. Duncan then proceeded to beat Brenda and Slade with the hammer as well. When Duncan thought that they were all dead, he picked up Dylan and Shasta one at a time and brought them outside where he laid them down underneath a tree. To Duncan's surprise, Slade, who had just been brutally beaten in the head with a hammer, ran out the back door of the house. Duncan ran after Slade and hit him a few more times in the head, but then he stopped and Slade got up. And Duncan just let him walk away. It's like he knew that he wasn't going to make it much longer and wanted him to just suffer. But at this moment, if Slade got up, then Mark and Brenda might get up too. So he went back inside to make sure that they were both dead before coming back out to Shasta and Dylan. Duncan ended up loading the two children into a truck that was left on the property and stole the truck and the kids and transferred them into another stolen car that was waiting down the road. The next time that Duncan would stop the car, they were already in another state. He asked the kids if they had to use the restroom, if they were hungry, but it's really not clear exactly where Duncan took the children, but he did hold them captive for weeks somewhere on a mountain. I'm pretty sure from kind of looking into it, I think that he took them to a state forest in Montana. It wasn't Yellowstone, but it was like somewhere near St. Regis. During the time that the kids were being held captive, Shasta and Dylan were constantly assaulted, physically, sexually, mentally. He would actually force the kids to do drugs and drink alcohol with him. And while they were intoxicated, he would tell them stories about other children that he's killed how he killed them, how he killed their parents, and all the gory details. And I think that, A, he told them while they were intoxicated so they wouldn't remember, but I also think that he used it as a scare tactic, being like, you guys can't act up or try to run because I'll kill you. Shasta actually tried to befriend Duncan. She said that she almost felt bad for him and felt that somebody must have done this to him as a kid and that's why he's doing it to them. But at the same time, she thought that befriending Duncan and gaining his trust would be the only way that she would make it out of there. However, befriending Duncan didn't stop him from what he did next. One day, Shasta and Dylan were outside, standing side by side, and next thing you know, Duncan shot Dylan in the abdomen, and then again in the head. Immediately, he tried to say that it was an accident and the gun went off and the only reason he shot him again in the head was to put him out of his suffering. After he killed Dylan, he forced Shasta to help him dispose of the body, and they burnt it in the campfire for three days. Shasta had brain matter and blood and pieces of her brother in her hair for weeks because he wouldn't let her shower. Not long after that, Duncan took Shasta to a new campsite, and at this campsite, he chained her up inside the tent at all times. She was hidden in plain sight. I mean, there were other people at the campsite, completely ignorant to what was going on just a few feet in front of them. Children laughing, dirt bikers riding around, and she could see all of it through the little slit in the tent opening. 
but they couldn't see her. Duncan and Shasta remained at this campsite for about two weeks. And after those two weeks, Duncan said, I'm going to give you a choice. How do you want to die? I'll shoot you and it will be quick or I'll strangle you. This is an eight-year-old girl. To even have to think about this, be asked this, or have to answer this is traumatizing in itself for anybody. But when you're eight years old, and this is what she says. She says, strangle me. Because in her head, if he shot her, all he has to do is pull the trigger and it's done and over with. But strangling takes longer. It gives her a chance to talk him out of it. Moments later, Duncan took a rope and attempted to strangle Shasta. She says that she ended up blacking out, and when she came to, Duncan was standing over her, asking her what she just said. And she remembers saying, Please don't, Jet, which is um, a nickname that she gave him. And when she said that to him, he started crying, and he just couldn't get himself to finish the job, almost like he felt some sort of remorse. And that was it. He didn't kill her. The following day, Duncan and Shasta packed up the campsite, and Duncan told Shasta, I really want you to meet my mom. She would love you. And Shasta says, this girl is so smart, I swear. She goes, well, before I meet your mom, I want you to do one thing for me. And he says, okay, sure. Because at this point, they have like a little bit of a trusting relationship. She says, I want you to bring me back to my hometown because I want to show you where I grew up where my best friend lives, and what school I went to. And by her doing this, she was saying, like, I want to open up to you. I want to show you the important things in my life so you know that I trust you and I want to be here with you. And he took the bait. It was July 2nd. On the way back to Shasta's hometown, they had stopped at a few gas stations. And at one of the gas stations, actually, a cop was parked outside but didn't notice Shasta, didn't think anything suspicious, and just let them go. Didn't even say anything to them. So at this point, I think Duncan's anxiety was kind of on ease. And finally, they made it back to the hometown. Shasta said, oh, this is my elementary school. This is my best friend's house. All at like random locations that weren't actually her elementary school or her best friend's house. But he didn't know that. And it was a perfect way to make him feel like she was letting him in without actually letting him in. By the time they were finished, it was around 2 a.m. And Duncan asked if Shasta was hungry. She said yes. So they went to a local Denny's. When they were walking into the Denny's restaurant, there was a man outside smoking a cigarette that Shasta made eye contact with, and when she made eye contact with him, he kind of gave her a nod like, I know who you are, and she gave a nod confirming. As they walked in, her missing persons poster was literally right at the entrance, and Duncan just kept going, like, didn't phase him, didn't think anything of it, and I don't know if it's because the run-in with the cop, like, they were fine and nothing happened, or if, like, He just kind of already knew, like, this was coming to an end. As they sat down, Shasta was facing the restaurant, and Duncan had his back to everybody else, facing her. The waitress came over, tried to make some small talk, realized who she was after the customer came up to her and let her know, the one that was outside, and gave her coloring books, like, took their order, whatever, went back, called the cops, stalled them until the cops came. It was about 15 minutes when a police officer entered the restaurant. He slowly approached the table and asked what was going on, who Shasta was, what her name was, and she paused for a moment, almost waiting for Duncan to grant her permission. And he nodded, and she told police who she was. She said, I'm Shasta Groney. Right then and there, police arrested Duncan, 
and Shasta was finally free after being held captive for 48 days. On July 4th, 2005, Dylan's remains were found at a campsite in Lolo National Forest in Montana. During the trial, jurors had to watch the graphic videos of Dylan and Shasta being physically and sexually abused by Duncan. One video depicted snuff-like content of Dylan being hung by a wire until he almost died as Duncan sat there, watched, and masturbated to the video. Like, are you, like, it's fucking disgusting. This guy is, oh my god, I don't even have words for it, so I'm just gonna keep going because I can't even think about that. But during the trial, Shasta and Dylan's dad, Stephen, wanted only the people important to the case to have to sit in there and watch that video because he felt like they were playing child pornography for the jury. Duncan ended up pleading guilty to all charges and was sentenced to death. After Duncan's arrest, he was linked to the April 1997 slaying of 10-year-old Anthony Martinez from Beaumont, California. He pleaded guilty and received a sentence of life in prison, and he was also linked to the murders of two young girls in Seattle in the 1990s, which was thanks to the help of Shasta, because that was one of the stories that Duncan told her about him killing those two young girls. He was also accused of molesting a young boy on a playground in Minnesota in 2005. At this point, like, puzzle pieces are flying around, everything's adding up, and Duncan was put away. Duncan was serving his time on death row at the United States Penitentiary, Terry Hout, but in March of 2021, Duncan died from his glioblastoma diagnosis in a nearby hospital, where he actually received brain surgery earlier, a few months earlier, but it was a terminal illness and there was nothing else they could do for him, especially because he declined radiation and chemotherapy. Shasta said, quote, One thing is for sure. He does not exist anymore. Now we can live our lives knowing that. She said, For so long I have been struggling with hate towards that man, but today I woke up feeling like my soul was finally free. I hope other people affected by Joseph Duncan were able to wake up feeling the same way. Shasta had a really tough time coping with this tragedy. I mean, her childhood was ripped away from her at such a young age. She ended up developing an eating disorder, self-harm, drug abuse. Today, Shasta is happily married with four children and her fifth one on the way that's actually due this August. Shasta spent a lot of years blaming herself for Dylan's death. She felt like it was her fault. She could have been able to do more. A lot of this guilt was based off of a pinky promise that she made him, saying that she promises that they'll make it out alive together. It's nice to know that Shasta has come to terms with her life and is, I mean, for the most part, happy. Out of a really gruesome and disgusting case that, like, I had a hard time even telling you guys, I'm happy that she got some sort of happy ending. But yeah, guys, I don't know. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um... Joseph Duncan is a piece of shit, and I'm happy that he got what he deserved. People Magazine did a two-hour premiere of this case on People Investigates. I haven't been able to find it, but if one of you guys could find it and link it to me, that'd be amazing, because I do want to watch it. Um, There's another podcast that I listen to, which I'm going to link in the show notes, and it's a first-hand interview with Shasta Groney, and she tells her reencountment of the story and like what happened and how she was feeling during it. But yeah, but yeah, I don't have anything else for you guys. I hope you enjoyed this one. As always, I hope you guys keep it spooky. Enjoy your summer. Have lots of adventures and lots of coffee because how else would we make it through? So, peace out, spooky cult. Keep it spooky. (laughs) 